0: of It Could Happen. With just over two months until the mandatory end of President Trump's first term, no one knows for sure if he will continue in office or not. Will any of the pending lawsuits and recounts change the apparent tie in the Electoral College? Two months is a long time. Who knows what could happen? There's a lot of ground to cover, and we're going to do our best to make some more stuff up in this final episode just to see if we get any of it right. Good afternoon. It's 12 p.m. on Monday, November 16th. This is Bill Beckley reporting. We've just been informed that the New York Times is reporting that Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed away on October 27th. In this extraordinary development, Maggie Haberman reports that Justice Ginsburg's final request was that news of her passing should not be made public until after the election. When reached for comment by CNN, Chief Justice John Roberts appeared to be blindsided by the news. He stated that he was both stunned and saddened by the news of Justice Ginsburg's passing. She was one of the most outstanding people that I have ever known. Other justices had similar reactions when notified of Justice Ginsburg's passing. You will recall that Justice Ginsburg had been granted a leave of absence from the court in early October due to her ongoing battle with cancer. Good afternoon. It's 12 p.m. on Friday, November 20th. This is Bill Beckley reporting. The Washington Post and the New York Times each reported this morning that they had gained access to the Durham report through a Freedom of Information request. Once again, it appears that Attorney General William Barr has misled the country and totally misconstrued the results of the investigation. Despite his claims that former administration officials may be charged with criminal offenses, the report does not support any of those allegations. The basis for the Mueller investigation was found to be legally sound and not, quote, the crime of the century, unquote, that the Trump administration had claimed it was. Attorney General Barr purposely withheld the report until after the election so that the president could continue claiming that all will be exposed, and those who are responsible for the worst witch hunt ever seen would end up in jail at his pre-election day rallies. Democrats reacted to the news by claiming that it is the president, with the help of his personal Roy Cohn, Attorney General William Barr, who rigged the 2020 election by claiming wrongdoing by the previous administration, when in fact, as Sean Spicer said when he borrowed the line from Gertrude Stein, there was no there there. Good afternoon. It's 12 p.m. on Saturday, November 28th. This is Bill Beckley reporting. The Washington Post and CNN broke the story this morning that Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh was involved in a DUI accident late last evening and that he has died as a result. Apparently, his car swerved off the road and hit a stop sign. Kavanaugh's 28-year-old legislative assistant was in the passenger seat. Neither driver nor passenger were injured as a result of the accident. However, as body cam video revealed, Kavanaugh became extremely belligerent when asked to submit to a field sobriety test. Two black officers who responded to the accident scene attempted to maintain a non-threatening posture while explaining the process to Justice Kavanaugh. Kavanaugh, however, became even more belligerent and shoved one of the officers to the ground. At that point, both officers subdued Kavanaugh and handcuffed him. As the officers were walking a still-struggling Kavanaugh to their squad car, he apparently suffered a massive heart attack. The officers did their best to provide CPR until an ambulance arrived. Kavanaugh was dead on arrival at George Washington University Hospital. No further details have as yet been made available. Good afternoon. It's 12 p.m. on Wednesday, December 9th. This is Bill Beckley reporting. The deadline for resolving election disputes officially passed at midnight last night. It appears that there has been no change to the vote counts in any state involved in election disputes. As such, the electors in each state are set to meet on December 14th to cast their votes. There is ongoing speculation as to whether or not the result of the actual vote will end in a tie. However, recent changes to the laws regarding rogue electors seem to indicate that the tie will hold since electors are now pledged to mirror the outcome of the popular vote. In other news, reports continue to come in from numerous state health departments that they are experiencing a spike in coronavirus cases and hospitalizations. This so far unexplained phenomenon is very disconcerting. Seemingly the only thing that the Trump administration got right in the response to the pandemic was the execution of Project Warp Speed that did in fact quickly and efficiently get both doses of the Biovax LLC vaccine to over 300 million American citizens. CDC researchers are coordinating test results with the individual states to see if they can determine a cause for the spike. The fear, according to Dr. Deborah Burks, is that the virus has mutated and the vaccines are now ineffective, but it's too early to tell. We'll be keeping a close watch on this story. Good afternoon. It's 12 p.m. on Monday, December 14th. This is Bill Beckley reporting. Today, electors across the country will be meeting in their respective state capitals to cast their votes. It is expected that the outcome of this process will still result in a tie. Once cast, the original ballots will be transmitted to the President of the Senate, in this case Vice President Nikki Haley. Other copies will go to the respective state's Secretaries of State, the National Archives and Records Administration, and the presiding judge in the district where the electors meet. This last copy serves as the official backup copy that would replace the official copy sent to the President of the Senate if it is lost or destroyed. At this point, nothing will change, theoretically, until January 6th, when, In a joint session, the Congress will meet to conduct the final count of electoral college votes. Good afternoon. It's 12 p.m. on Monday, December 21st. This is Bill Beckley reporting. We have rather disturbing news regarding the recent spike in coronavirus cases. It is certainly not something that we wish to report during this holiday season. CDC researchers have discovered that the vaccine developed by BioVax LLC, which was given emergency use approval by Acting FDA Commissioner Dr. Deborah Burks and distributed via Project Warp Speed to over 300 million Americans, is apparently only effective for 45 to 60 days. If that discovery were not bad enough, reports of serious side effects are beginning to come into the CDC from all over the country. President Trump, in a series of tweets, cautioned against jumping to conclusions and suggested that the side effects were minimal and would soon recede. Good afternoon. It's 12 p.m. on Thursday, January 7th. This is Bill Beckley reporting. I have been using the phrase, what a week it was, for more weeks than I care to admit to, but today that hackneyed phrase could not be more appropriate. The week just concluded has been one of the most remarkable in the history of this nation. Yesterday, the Senate and the House of Representatives met at 10 a.m. in the morning in a rare joint session. There was but one agenda item, to count and confirm the Electoral College votes. They did so. There were no surprises. The 2020 election remained a tie between our two major political parties. This morning at 10 a.m., the House met to determine who the President would be and the Senate met at the very same time in order to determine who would serve as Vice President. As expected, the House of Representatives confirmed the reelection of Donald J. Trump to a second term as President of the United States. As we reported back in November, Republicans control 26 of the 50 state congressional delegations, giving them one vote each, even though they do not have a majority of the representatives in the House. Puerto Rico, the District of Columbia, and the four other American territories do not have voting rights in the House and did not take part in the process. The House of Representatives is still in the hands of Democrats, so the reaction to this vote was loud and passionate. Nancy Pelosi said simply that this august chamber has now participated in the complete demise of the nation I have loved my entire life. However, it was the vote in the Senate, that has rocked the country once again. In yet another unbelievable turn of events, the Senate, despite now being controlled by the Democrats, announced that Utah Senator Mitt Romney had been chosen to be the new vice president to serve alongside President Trump. Upon hearing the news, President Trump tweeted that, quote, the Senate has now gone rogue and we citizens cannot let this wild Mormon be our vice president, unquote. Good afternoon. It's 12 p.m. on Monday, January 11th. This is Bill Beckley reporting. Democrats across the country are calling for the Democratic leadership in the House and Senate, Nancy Pelosi, James Clyburn, Chuck Schumer, and Dick Durbin, to resign. Social media platforms are on fire demanding that recall votes be initiated for any Senate Democrat who voted to confirm Republican Mitt Romney as the new vice president. Those Senate Democrats who had voted to appoint Kamala Harris as the next Vice President are stunned and are joining in the chorus of Democrats across the country to recall the so-called traitors to the Democratic Party. Facebook founder Mark Zuckerberg issued a statement that indicated that he was not certain whether his platform could survive the monumental load as he put it on his company's servers. Over the weekend, President Trump, apparently feeling emboldened by the events of the two previous days, tweeted and tweeted and tweeted again. He continued his vitriol against soon-to-be Vice President Romney, claiming that he, Trump, would find it impossible to work with him and that he was going to take the matter of Romney's appointment to the Supreme Court. Late Saturday afternoon, after his round of golf at his New Jersey club, he pardoned every single member of his administration who had been convicted of any crime since January 21st, 2017. He called a press conference for Sunday evening at the White House, but canceled it late in the afternoon because he decided to stay in New Jersey in order to play another round of golf this morning. Good afternoon. It's 12 p.m. on Thursday, January 21st. This is Bill Beckley reporting. Yet again, I must begin with the tired but not yet retired phrase, what a week it was. Let's begin with Wednesday's inauguration ceremony. President Trump took the oath of office at 12.17 p.m. on the Capitol steps, and Mitt Romney was sworn in as vice president a few minutes after that. The president then launched into his second inaugural address, and it was vintage Trump. He wasted little time in setting forth his goals for the next four years a booming economy, a fully open for business country, and a continued full speed ahead search for a reliable vaccine. He attacked his now familiar enemies, the Democrats, the media, and the radicals in the streets. There was sparse applause from a sparse crowd. Social distancing was enforced by the Capitol Police, augmented by the Maryland National Guard. Virtually everyone wore a mask except when addressing the crowd. The traditional lunch that has followed each presidential inauguration since the one arranged for William McKinley in 1897 had long been canceled. It was reported that the president simply returned to the White House and dined on cheeseburgers with his family and some of his major supporters. It was this morning that the truly shocking news struck all of us. In a totally unprecedented and unexpected move, but one that had clearly been carefully planned out in advance, Vice President Romney led what can only be called a palace revolution. In the conference room at the Vice President's official home on Observatory Circle here in Washington, Romney, with the support of the entire cabinet, invoked the 25th Amendment to the Constitution of the United States. The vote to invoke passed unanimously at 8.23 a.m. In a procession of black limousines and SUVs, the Vice President and the Cabinet made their way to Capitol Hill where they, in an obviously prearranged ceremony, presented to the President Pro Tem of the Senate, Chuck Grassley of Iowa, and the Speaker of the House of Representatives, Nancy Pelosi of California, the following written declaration. The President of the United States is no longer capable of discharging the powers and duties of his office. Within minutes, Senator Grassley and Speaker Pelosi called their respective chambers to order and obtained nearly unanimous agreement to the invocation of the 25th Amendment. Mitt Romney was named Acting President by acclamation. Senator Lindsey Graham tried to initiate a filibuster in an attempt to delay the vote, but he was prevented from doing so by Senator Rand Paul. Moments later, Acting President Romney stepped to the House podium and named Senator Kamala Harris as Acting Vice President. The confirmation process was quick and expected as both chambers are now in the hands of the Democrats. It is important to note that President Trump will most likely now send a letter to the Senate President Pro Tem of the Senate and the Speaker of the House declaring that he is fit for office. The Vice President and Cabinet would then have four days to issue another declaration of the President's incompetence, which would then send the matter to Congress to decide whether or not the President is back in or out. With both chambers of Congress controlled by the Democrats, it seems like those steps would be a formality, and the country will be led by President Romney and Vice President Harris for the next four years. If I seem out of breath in reporting all of this, I can assure you that I am not alone. The country is, literally, breathless as it learns of these startling developments. As we conclude this broadcast, the acting president and the acting vice president are meeting with the cabinet. They continue to occupy the vice president's residence. President Trump has not, at this hour, left the White House. Good afternoon. It's 12 p.m. on Monday, January 25th. This is Bill Beckley reporting. The story of election 2020 and its aftermath gets stranger and stranger. The events of the week just passed continued throughout the weekend. President Trump challenged his removal by the Vice President and the Cabinet. The Vice President and Cabinet immediately reasserted that President Trump was incapable of remaining President. The Senate and House each met in emergency sessions late yesterday and confirmed that President Trump should be removed from office. This morning at 7 a.m., a contingent of Capitol Police backed up by a military detachment from the Old Guard stationed at Fort Myer, Virginia, arrived at the White House under orders from now President Romney to remove immediately, forcibly if necessary, Donald J. Trump from said premises. That was the wording of the official order. Our sources tell us that the now ex-president had to be awakened and then ordered by Colonel Patrick M. Roddy Jr., the current commander of the Old Guard unit, to dress and appear at once in the hallway outside the executive bedroom. A similar order was conveyed to Mrs. Trump, who sleeps in another bedroom, by two senior female staff members of the Old Guard. That is all we know at this moment. Where Donald Trump and his wife are at the moment is not known, or at least has not been revealed. There is a bit of irony attached to this event. The motto of the Old Guard since the early 19th century is Nolo me Tanger. Which translates as, touch me not. Good afternoon. It's 12 p.m. on Friday, January 29th. This is Bill Beckley reporting. President Romney completed his first week at the White House by making some appointments to his cabinet, a complete list of which will follow. But, more importantly, he nominated two candidates to fill the two vacancies on the Supreme Court. His first nominee was a surprise to virtually no one who has been following the judicial appointments of the last several years. Romney named Amy Coney Barrett to fill the seat last held by Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Barrett had been on Donald Trump's shortlist for some time, and she had been considered for the appointment that eventually went to Brett Kavanaugh. She has been a professor of law at the University of Notre Dame was appointed by Trump to the Court of Appeals for the Seventh Circuit in October of 2017. She is widely regarded as an astute conservative jurist and her nomination by President Romney is seen by some as a suggestion that he wishes to continue the process of shaping the Supreme Court into a more conservative institution. His next nomination, however, seems to belie that intention. In a very surprising development, Romney nominated Merrick Garland to the seat vacated by the death of Justice Brett Kavanaugh. Garland is the distinguished and moderate jurist whose nomination by President Obama was sabotaged by Senator Mitch McConnell's refusal to bring it forward to the full Senate. In a twist of fate, like so many others during this ongoing saga, Justice Garland appears headed to the Supreme Court, while now ex-Senator Mitch McConnell is back home in Kentucky. Good afternoon. It's 12 p.m. on Monday, February 1st. This is Bill Beckley reporting. The bizarre and complicated saga of the 2020 election continues. Over the past two days, several sources have confirmed that what the United States has just experienced should indeed be labeled a palace revolution. In fact, many key Democrats and almost as many key Republicans in the Senate, the House, and the former president's own cabinet convened over the last month in what several of them have called Operation PR. While there had been scattered reports of late-night meetings and clandestine weekend gatherings, no journalist or political commentator put these reports together into a coherent mission. One Washington Post columnist even noted the use of the term Operation PR. He overheard it, he said, while at a lunch in a Georgetown restaurant. What we have now learned is that the PR in Operation PR did not stand for public relations, but did indeed stand for palace revolution. And this is what we see now has actually occurred. Democrats and Republicans gathered in small groups to create a plan for what to do with a president who seemed no longer fit for office. There are dozens of details just now emerging, but the bottom line as we leave this story is that the union has survived. A peaceful revolution has resulted in a bipartisanship that has not been seen in this country since November 8, 2016. That's a wrap for the sixth and final installment of It Could Happen. Once again, we will restate our disclaimer that we do not want anything tragic to happen to anyone from either party. We merely explored just one of thousands of possible storylines that could happen.